0: Welcome to the number one South Asian radio station
1: in North America, Ruckus Avenue Radio. I'm a doctor, a father, an American, an Indian. I've had conversations about life from every angle. And as I've navigated the South Asian experience, I share stories of people and their purpose. And what they're saying over and over again is, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I'm Abhay and on this episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, I'm joined by United States Marine Corps Captain and Afghanistan war veteran, Onkar Ranade. Stay tuned. I think we find ourselves at watershed moments all the time. Some are on a small scale and temporary, and others that affect our overall consciousness. As we cross the 20th anniversary of the September 11th attacks, it's so sobering to think of the deep impact on our culture, our outlook, and our experience as Americans, particularly for those who have served in the military. My cousin, Onkar Ranere, is a South Asian American who was born and raised in Southern California to immigrant parents and spent his formative years in the wake of 9-11. After college, becoming an attorney, and practicing labor and employment law for a few years, he made a significant pivot to join the United States Marine Corps as a commissioned officer, serving on active duty for about six years, and most recently on a combat tour in Afghanistan. Especially after seeing the challenging withdrawal of our troops, and with the backdrop of 9-11, I wanted to share a conversation with Onkar about his journey in the military and his reflections on military service, about his experiences in Afghanistan, and how it feels to be a South Asian American military veteran in 2021.
0: That's a great question, Abe, and and one that I actually don't get too often, um, and I'll tell you why here in a second. I was just kind of looking at what the latest demographics were of our uh, armed forces here in this country. You know, who serves? Where are they from? You know, what is their socioeconomic background? So on and so forth. And the armed forces in general, uh, uh, generally speaking, is mostly lower middle class. Um, You'd think that maybe the demographics would skew. Uh, a little more to the left of the socioeconomic ladder or towards the bottom, I should say. Um, but that's not really the case. It's, it's the lower middle, they're largely lower middle class. They're largely um, multi-generational households that have some connection to service. Um, so, you know, their parents served, their uh, aunts, uncles, uh, extended family. They have some connection to the military um, that influenced them in some way in order to serve. Linking back to your question of uh, being South Asian uh, in the military, I guess from personal experience, uh, just thinking about folks I've met uh, during my time in service, uh, not many people uh, look like me, Um, not many people uh, named (laughs) Omkar and uh, no real surprise there. Um, But the statistics show this, um, that out of all of the uh, branches of the armed service, there's about 3% identify as Asian in general so that includes South Asian, East Asian, um, and all of the other countries that are associated with your, you know, five ethnicity breakdown—the um, standard yeah. five, like, ethnicity breakdown. Three percent are are uh, of Asian heritage, um, and so South Asian, you know, point XX—I I couldn't tell you, but you know, just Long. you know, from my own personal experience, it's a, it's a few, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it is it's a good number to put it at. Yeah,
1: from the vantage point yeah. of sustaining. Uh, veteranship, if you will, or like what that experience is like, even granted that it's such a small percentage of the military in in general, is it the kind of experience now being a veteran in in 2021 that obviously is only shared in that way by so few in the South Asian American community, but what's it been like to maybe, you know, go through a pandemic and go through uh, you know, the events both politically and in the, you know, economic and even in the military world over this past year, as someone who doesn't have, you know, so many kind of comrades or colleagues who are going through the exact same experiences as a South Asian American? Sure.
0: No, it's a great question. Uh, and I think the, the past, you know, year or so has been challenging personally, right? Um, and for the world in general, you know, so I guess in that uh, respect, um, I guess it's at one of those unique times in history where uh, by and large, everyone in the world, if you're a human being right, is affected in some way, shape or form uh, by the pandemic. And you know, as an American, the events with the end of the war in Afghanistan, um, you know, as we saw play out on live TV um, at times and all over the viral videos um, have kind of um, been an international conversation recently. Um, but the experience has just been, you know, to be honest with you, the spectrum of emotions, you kind of reflect on that portion of your life and, you know, you kind of ask yourself, you know, was it worth it? You know, did, did I make the right decision? Um, and where do we go from here? (laughs) You
1: know, when you're asking those questions and you're constantly going through that sort of self-reflection and do you find that that's, uh, it's a non-linear way of thinking, meaning that there are some days where you have great answers to that. And then other days where it's just a, it's still either, uh, not a great answer or no answer or even confused answers. Um, is it something that, that you have to pause and even get help with sometimes, or if not for you, then for others that, you know? yeah
0: no i mean you know we were we've been at this for 20 years you know i mean it's a long time um you know through multiple uh you know political leadership military leadership and you know i was reading an article that there were even instances that um you know soldiers and or other troops that served during the initial invasion of afghanistan their kids that weren't even born yet have deployed to afghanistan just to give you an idea uh, and some perspective of how long uh, we've actually been there. Um, and, you know, and those questions are, will be continuous, you know, the spectrum of emotion, you know, all of that, it, there's no uh, one singular answer to it. Um, but here's what I can tell you. The, the the people that I served with, you know, we, we served honorably. We did um, and executed what our country had asked for us to the fullest of our ability. And there's definitely pride in that. Um, and there's confidence that, we did what we were asked to do. And then some,
1: let me ask you this. You, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you're part of a very small group of colleagues that go into military service from the Asian, let alone the South Asian American community for you personally, um, having gone through uh, at least law school and some of your personal experiences growing up in in Southern California as you entered the military, if you can reflect back, was there a driving force for that? Was there some kind of motivation, you know, whether it come from your own personal experiences, family experiences, external experiences, or, or even a gap in some ways that was filled by joining the military? Can you can you share some of your own reflections on that?
0: Sure. Um, so I'd mentioned previously that a lot of uh, people that, join the military, have some kind of prior nexus uh, to military service. In in my case, I had exactly zero, Um, you know, Los Angeles, not the biggest military town by any means, you know, I, you know, as you know, I'm a first generation uh, American, didn't have any family members or anyone that I knew that served. I I think my motivation to serve um, was twofold. Uh, First, you know, I remember very vividly um, as we come up here on the 20th anniversary of uh, the 11th of September in 2001, watching very vividly, you know, and in disbelief, like many of us were that day of what was going on. um, And I knew I I needed to do something. I had no idea what. You know, uh, throughout my you know high school career, I didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, some people are young and want to become professional soldiers uh, in the profession of arms. Some want to be doctors, engineers, whatever the case is. Um, I, I guess I didn't have any strong <laughs> um, what I want to be when I grow up answers uh, when I was yeah. a kid. Um, you know, ended up doing the traditional thing after high school, uh, college, law school, uh, practicing for a couple of years. And I was at a point in my life where I was like a young urban professional, right? You know, you're, uh, you, you go to school, you check all the boxes, you get your professional degree, whatever you're, you're going to dinner parties, happy hours, you know, doing all the stuff that, you know, you know, young 20, 30 somethings do in the city. Right. Right. And I just had that nagging feeling like, is this it? Is this it? Like, I'm just gonna, I guess the next step is maybe to get married, start a family, and just go down what seems like sometimes a a checklist of life milestones, you know? And I just couldn't get that itch out of my head. Uh, Curiosity turned into Google searches, which turned into conversations with people that I knew had served in the military in the past, turned into walking into a recruiter's door, you know, and turned into where I am now. Um, It wasn't easy. If you can imagine being in a, a white collar office type of role where, you know, your interaction is in the front of the screen or at a desk or whatever. And it was a real, um, it's, it was a real life shift. If I wanted to do this, if I wanted to be successful, I had to do all of the prerequisite work that was required to even get a shot at doing this. Yeah. And so of the branches of the military, you know, the army, Navy, air force and Marine Corps, the Marine Corps is by far the smallest. Um, one of the popular recruiting ads back in the day are the few, the proud. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are the, the physical standards uh, of entry are uh, significantly higher than the other branches of service. Uh, the Marine Corps demographically skews much, much younger than the other branches of service because of the physical, uh, physically demanding nature of the service as a whole. When I was considering what branch I wanted to join, uh, I knew if I was going to do this, I needed to go full all in. All you know, in, yeah. and, and it was and for me, the only choice was the Marine Corps. The Marine Corps is you know out of its composition, it's ninety uh, percent enlisted, meaning ninety percent of the folks that serve in the Marine Corps uh, enlist right out of high school and go to you know what we you know what, what generally is known as boot camp, mm-hmm. um, and the ten percent uh, is the officer corps where I serve, And so when you go um, to become or you become an officer, um, it's a tryout. It's really a screening. The pass rate, if you will, of the selection process is about 65 to 70 percent. Once you get to Quantico, Virginia, where Officer Candidate School is located Mm -hmm. and the Marine Corps on the officer side is unique in that um, it's a 10 week long screening and evaluation. Uh, After week three, you're allowed to quit whenever you want, you know. If you don't enjoy what you're doing or if you can't, you know, you've lost sight of your goal or maybe it's not right for you. And that's OK. You know, there's no there's no um, shame or, you know, there's no repercussions. There's no you know, negative um, to just walking away. And, it's, and that's by design, because at the end of the 10 weeks, they only want people that truly want to be there and not forced
1: to be there. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a quick break, we'll come back to our conversation with Onkar Ranade. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Let's rejoin our conversation with Captain Onkar Ranade of the United States Marine Corps. Now, for you, not necessarily being, you know, early out of high school or even in college and having had a uh, white collar job and sort of the checklist life, as you mentioned, was having the security of knowing that, hey, there's an exit plan here if I need to. Was that of some reassurance and and in some ways kind of reaffirmed your um, confidence in saying that, hey, once you were starting to go through that officer training and that officer selection process, that it felt perhaps more right because of your maybe unique pathway of getting there?
0: Yeah. Um, and so knowing that you can walk away after, you know, that those three weeks if it wasn't for you, that was almost like my parachute, right? Like, hey, yeah. look, like I'm doing this. I'm going 100 miles an hour, you know, trying to accomplish this. But if it doesn't work out, you know, I have this safety blanket parachute here that I can pull and just walk away, you know, no questions asked and leave. Um, and it was interesting. Like my interaction with a recruiter was almost, you know, my perception right before having no military experience before, like, oh, wow, like look at all this stuff I've accomplished. Like they're going to, they're gonna, definitely going to want me. And like, why wouldn't they want me? Like they're going to be begging me to join, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you walk in and the first interaction is like, we could care less what you did before you walked in the door you know right. how fast how fast can you run like how many pull-ups can you do like yeah. you know obviously there's the mental aspects that you yeah. evaluate later but the entry-level questions were are you even in the physical condition to even entertain this and at the time my initial interaction i was not and so i kind of got the hey here's my business card you know call me back when you can achieve this and i was you know floored like whoa, what do you mean you don't want me? Like I'm right. the best thing since sliced bread, like to walk through <laughs> your door. Like how can you, how can you, you know, not, you know, sign me up right away. Um, and so that's just going, I guess that just speaks to the culture of the organization. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, and the perception people may have of, you know, oh, don't let anyone with a pulse join. Um, right. You know, I can be, I can be, uh, I'm a living testament. That, that is definitely not the case. <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, and and say to some degree, like certainly, you had to meet up to the physical challenges of joining the military. But later on, as you got in, and before you went on on you know service tours, did did you learn something about yourself, sort of even intellectually? What, what were some of the aha moments that that you found even before going out into the sort of combat world?
0: What you can prepare for. You could, prepare, you could prepare physically, I should say, right? Yeah. You have a goal to meet, you know, if you stay regimented, you follow the program, you know, like a lot of us have run, you know, five Ks, 10 Ks, half marathons, whatever. You have a training plan, you know, okay, yeah. day one, I'm gonna go this distance, day two, week two, so on and so forth. And so physically, I knew I could do it. If I really wanted this, this is what I need to do, this is how I'm gonna get there. I was confident in my physical ability to make it because I really wanted to do this, right? The thing that you can't train for is mental strength. Okay. Having the, you know, the Kevlar mind, if you will, it it takes training and it takes, you have the conversation with yourself long before you face adversity. Cause you know, you're going to get, you know, um, the proverbial gut punch, right. You know, you you know, you're, it's It's coming. The question is, what are you going to do and how are you going to react when it does come? So um, when you're in the crucible of combat, and you're leading other Marines and they're looking to you uh, for guidance and direction. Uh, if you're going to quit in this controlled environment, why would we ever trust you with other people's lives? You know, yeah. it, 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 they won't.
1: Do you find any of your upbringing or experiences you had being sort of an Indian American from Southern California? Did, did any of those uh, experiences ring to be important in the actual day-to-day as you prepared for that sort of mental exercise at all?
0: Yeah. You know, uh, the ring girl has a saying, you know, do the right thing even when no one's watching. You know, that's just the way I was raised. Be, be a good person. The great example I like to use is what kind of a person are you? And when you go to Costco and you go shopping, are you going to return the shopping cart uh, to where they're supposed to go? Or are you just going to leave it in the middle of the parking lot? You know what I mean? Right. Um, I'm a shopping cart return guy, you know, and that's the type of people I like to celebrate
1: that, by the way.
0: (laughs) I guess that goes to character. Um, And I was fortunate enough to be raised in a loving household um, by two parents, you know, who who loved me and wanted the best for me and kind of taught me those life lessons of obviously, you know, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal and, and do the right thing.
1: You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a quick break, we'll come back to our conversation with Onkar Ranade. Stay tuned. Mm -hmm. I'm Abhay Dhandikar, and you're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Let's rejoin our conversation with Onkar Ranade. When you then transitioned into now being an officer and on tours and in active duty and in service, were there some signature moments along the way, whether they be domestic or in Afghanistan, that reminded you that you were a South Asian American, that you were an Indian American, in addition to being an American soldier?
0: Oh, yeah. Um, So maybe one of the experiences was in uh, Afghanistan. I was uh, in uh, the southwestern portion of the country, the Helmand province and Kandahar province, both uh, historically were uh, two of the most dangerous places in in the entire country in southwestern Afghanistan. A lot of people that worked there, um, there were quite a few foreign nationals that worked on the base with us and Afghans that worked with us. Um, a lot of them would assume that i was afghan and was some kind of liaison to the government that just happened right. to be in a marine corps uniform like what are you because yeah. a, a lot of my colleagues uh were you know caucasian or african-american or hispanic you know very clearly western looking yeah. i kind of fit into that x category of like wait a second like are you and so i would get approached and you know people would start speaking Pashtun or Dari to me and i'd kind of do the wide eyes <laughs> oh, and like no. you know <laughs> And so, yeah, I mean, definitely, and and I don't know what it was, but I feel I think that a lot of people felt comfortable, a lot of Afghans felt comfortable around me because I wasn't so foreign-looking. I guess the best way to put it.
1: Well, I mean, did it give you a, a window of empathy into the experience? Did was it allowing you to have maybe a different lens on on your tour and even on your service?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think the importance of empathy. Um, and you, and you got to turn the table around and look at it from their eyes. Okay. For the last 20 years, their country's been at war. And before that, for another couple of decades as well. And before that, you know, tribal infighting has always persisted in that country throughout modern history there. Um, and so a lot of it was just empathy. I mean, I think that by and large, the average Afghan just wants to be left in peace. They want to provide for their family. And they want a roof over their head. Uh, it's as simple as that. I think they just want to live their lives, and you know, you you emphasize with it. And I think what what used to affect me most and still does were the were the children. You know, you kind of feel at times you kind of won the the genetic lottery, right? You know, I was privileged enough to been born into a loving family in the United States and had opportunities that I can't even quantify when you compare them to. Kids in Afghanistan and others around the world, and so it definitely gave me a, an enhanced sense of thankfulness, of gratefulness, and um, all of those adjectives, and really put things in perspective.
1: Would you? Th- I mean, given that, and you know, the idea of empathy with the the people that you're surrounded by, this picture that's that's probably so powerful of someone sending their baby over a barbed wire line you know into the arms of of military soldiers and of course others who are are and and in that way sort of preserving and now handing that life off to somebody else and and then those who are uh dropping um you know from from the wheels of a plane um onto a tarmac in, in desperation i mean what are your what are your first blush thoughts when when you see pictures like that, particularly given your entire narrative of experiences leading into the military and being there um, and then leaving, of course, uh, last year? What were some of your thoughts and, and sort of first reflections on it?
0: I, I tried to imagine what could be going through the minds of a mother or a father who hands their infant child to a group of strangers over a 10 foot high wall with barbed wire on it. And I couldn't, you know, I couldn't even begin to imagine what's going through their head. But I do know this, that at that moment, they would sacrifice everything and, you know, push their way to the front of a crowd, thousands and thousands of people deep, trying to give their child a chance, an opportunity to live a life, that they aren't able to give them. And I saw it as an act of selflessness, an act of desperation, and I was just floored by it. And turning the board around, okay, of the Marine on top of the wall with outstretched arms receiving this baby and clutching the child literally by the diaper, as we saw over this barbed wire, wall step into their boots for a second okay now imagine being 19 or 20 years old from you know a household in any town usa okay you've been probably awake for days with very little to no sleep you certainly haven't taken a shower maybe you've eaten that day maybe not probably not you're in the middle of A chaotic scene in Kabul, Afghanistan. It's August, probably 110, 115 degrees outside, conservatively. You're wearing about 40 to 50 pounds of body armor and ammunition and weapon and helmet. And you're standing there after, you know, for for days. And you're making the decision. It's almost like the only way to describe it is almost a God complex of who gets to pass and get on this plane and get out of this country before it falls to these barbarians, or you don't select someone and what happens to them is unknown. So imagine being 19 and making those decisions. And, you know, it almost brings tears to my eyes of how incredibly proud I am of those, um, you know, young men and women um, that, that did exactly that. You know, I mean, and, and you can train a Marine, you can train them shoot straight. These are survival skills. You know, those high, high EQ skills that require that emotional quotient, you know, you can't teach that to someone. Those, those foundational human interactions are, you know, inherent. And it just makes me so proud that they were able to save the lives of, I think it ended up being over a hundred and thousand, 30,000 people um, even after the the suicide blast had killed thirteen of their brothers and sisters,
1: you, you mentioned yourself that when most people think of that person who's there in the situation you just described, and, and with the backdrop of this chaos and the you know peril of the moment, that one, when most people think about that person, they're they're not thinking of someone like Oh God, I'm and, and now, as we enter into, um, you know, in some ways, kind of an inflection point in this country with, you know, hopefully soon the pandemic in the rearview mirror with uh, an exit from Afghanistan and so much so many other things going on. And, you now in uh, a non-military role, um, what what does it take for us to think of more people like Umkar Anade in that in that role?
0: My personal opinion is I think the military should try to reflect the people that they serve and a people named Om Karanadeh make up uh, America just as much as, you know, John and Jane Smith make up America and everyone in between. And so I think uh, a reason, one of the reasons that the war in Afghanistan has been so distant from the average American's mind is because... That burden is shouldered by less than one percent of people who volunteer to serve in our armed forces all across the country. but in reality, you know unless I bring it up to someone you know at a networking event or something, I don't think anyone's going to associate with me with being a, a captain in the Marine Corps. I guess'm one of the reasons I'm here today with you is to kind of share that we're everywhere you know we're your, uh, we're your neighbors you know your kids go to school with our kids you know they're what someone that serves in the armed forces looks like, there's no there's no accurate picture or one demographic. It's it's a cross section of this country, from first generation Americans to even sometimes even immigrants who came here from another country that are sworn in as nationalized citizens while in uniform. To third and fourth generation uh, military households, um, you know, all colors, creeds, backgrounds you know, I guess some advice uh, for folks that may have not had a lot of interaction with people in the military is just listen. You know, everyone's got such a unique story and unique background and unique motivation to serve. Just ask them. When you have less than 1% of the population has served and, you know, this country kind of makes a pivot from the global war on terror to, you know, challenges of tomorrow, I think that the, the civilian military divide is wider now than it's ever been before. You know, the last three you know political leaders in our country don't have service. I think the number uh, the percentage of Congress and other elected officials that served in uniform is at an all time low that it's been in the last 50 plus years. And all that to say, I think we're we've been divided uh, over two different worlds, you know, more so than ever. Um, I think the, the, the best thing you can do is just ask and talk to them. You know, and I think it's it's, it's it's great for both sides.
1: Well, hey, man, I'm, I'm grateful that, that we've been able to listen to your story. And I hope you'll just continue to, to keep sharing that and inspiring people and, and doing some terrific work and, and returning shopping carts at Costco. Um, <laughs> yeah, always, always return your card if you don't always return, your, return card. your card. But uh, we're so grateful for your service, God And thanks so much. I hope you'll we'll come back and join us again.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you so much, Onkar. And thanks to everyone for listening, subscribing, telling your friends, and following us at friend on the socials. I'm grateful for all who stake their lives for us. And so a gracious thank you to everyone in uniform, in service, and in first response. Till next time, I'm Abhay Dandekar. This is Raj, host of The People's Show, the globe's number one Punjabi music show. Make sure you tune in every Friday, 12 noon PST, 8 p.m. GMT, and Saturday, 12.30 p.m. IST, exclusively on Ruckus Avenue Radio.